messages entitled uh, The Journey. And uh, it's because life is a journey, and it's a journey towards a destination. Um, the destination is the kingdom of heaven. And the significance of your journey is to the extent to which you influence others. Just think about that for a second. The significance of your journey in life is the extent to which you influence others for Christ. The degree to which people experience God's transforming power because of your life. That's really what it's all about, where people can say, I was changed because you were available. I was changed, I was transformed because you were willing to say to God, here I am, use me, send me. But it's all about asking the right questions if we're going to do that. And, you know, it's kind of interesting. Uh, uh, I've read in a number of different places. Like, For instance, in the field of science, uh, if you're a researcher, they say you have to learn to ask the right questions. So often in life we don't ask the right questions and we're answering questions that perhaps aren't the most important questions or maybe, maybe we're trying to answer questions that don't need to be asked. But what are the right questions in life? In the last few weeks, I've been sharing with you some of the questions that I believe we all need to begin asking ourselves. I'm asking myself these questions every single day. And they're coming to my mind at the beginning of the day. That's how I start my days, to remind myself about these five questions. And I want to share all five of them in a little bit more depth this morning. These questions can change everything, depending on how we respond to them. The first question is, who am I? So I want to ask you, who are you? Jesus came to his disciples one day, actually before they were following him, and he saw Peter and John, and, you know, uh, Peter and James, and they were fishing, Peter and Andrew, pardon me, because James and John were fishermen, and Peter and Andrew, and they were fishing because they were fishermen. And he said, leave your nets, come and follow me. Now, their identity was wrapped up in their profession, and in their culture, in their ethnicity, they were, they were Jewish, but they were fishermen. That was a big part of their identity. And Jesus came, said, leave your nets, and I will make you fishers of men, if you will follow me. He was giving them a new identity, and then with Peter, his name was Simon, actually, and he changed his name to Peter, meaning the rock. It was all about identity. And so they left their nets, and they followed him. And they realized at the very beginning of their journey of discipleship, of following Jesus, that they were missionaries. They were called to be apostles, missionaries, ambassadors for Christ, emissaries for God. They realized that they were sent out into the world for a purpose. Now, a lot of people today talk about identity. You know what I'm talking about. So people today think about their identity in terms of their careers, their occupations. So they say, who are you? If I walked up to somebody and just said, 
tell me who you are. And they would say, well, you know, I'm an accountant, or I'm a lawyer, or I'm a doctor. And I go, well, that's not really the right answer. Uh, today, people get their identity from their, their sexuality, they, they, you know, how they identify themselves in terms of gender and, and all of that. People uh, get their identity from their ethnicity, you know, uh, what part of the world they come from, or from their, their color of their skin. But in the Bible... It tells us that as Christians, our identity comes from who we are in Christ. Jesus said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Now, at the very end of Jesus' ministry, uh, when he was praying in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane, uh, in John chapter 17, we actually get a real insight into what he prayed. John chapter 17, read it. But here's a little portion of it. And he's praying for his disciples. Judas had already betrayed him, but he still had 11. And he said, he said, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then he said, sanctify them, set them apart by your truth. He's praying to the Father in heaven. And then he says, as you, Father, sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. Now he's praying for the other 11, right? The 11 that were left after Judas. He's saying, Father, even as you sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. And then he says this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. What was his prayer? Father, just as you sent me, I send them. And my prayer is not for my disciples, the 11 alone, but for all who will believe. Do you believe this morning? Are you a follower of Jesus? He's saying, you are sent. You are a missionary for Christ if somebody was to ask you, you know, really, who are you? Say, I'm an ambassador for Christ. I am God's missionary. Um, every single one of us have been called out from the world when we got saved. When I was saved, became a Christian at the age of 24, I was called out from the world. God separated me. But then he set me apart for his purposes. I said, Brian, your life is no longer your own. Your life, it's not, can, you, Christians should never say, my life is really God's life that he has given me, that he's gifted me. God called me out from the world, and he set me apart, and then he said, now I'm sending you back in. And so the whole point of being a Christian is to understand who we are in Christ, that we are a holy people, set apart by God, sent back into the world to let our light shine, to let people know who Jesus is. Um, so we did uh, some planning with some of our leadership in the church uh, on June the 1st, earlier this year, and it was really interesting. We got talking about what it means to be a missionary, to be missional as a church, and someone made the statement, and I wrote it down, and it's never left me. Is this church this morning? Sure. The word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia. Ekklesia. That word ekklesia means called out ones. The ones who've been called out. We are God's ekklesia. But you know what? Church begins, they said, when we leave the building. Because we're not the church when we just sit and listen 
and sing. We are the church when we go out into the world. And Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand up against it. So church begins when we leave the building. Take a look at this picture here. Uh, That's church. There's a guy sitting maybe on a park bench, it looks like, with the Bible in his hand. Looks like he's explaining the gospel to somebody else. Folks, that's church. That's church right there. Church begins when we leave the building. God's called us out and separated us, set us apart, so he could send us back in and be the church in the world. Jesus said in in, in Matthew chapter 5 in the, the Sermon on the Mount, he said, you are like a city on a hill. You are the light of the world, so let your light shine so that people will be drawn to you, to your good works, and they will glorify your Father in heaven. So, who am I? What's my identity? It's not in, fundamentally in all those other things. My identity is I'm a missionary for God. Every single one of us are missionaries. I don't know if you believe that, but it's in the Bible. Second thing, why am I here? Because that first question leads us to the second question. If, I, if my identity who I am is that I'm a missionary, then why am I here? Why was I born? Why was I set apart by God? Why was I saved? So this addresses the issue of purpose. Identity leads into purpose. Once you know your identity, then you can know your purpose. I'm a missionary for God. Once you know your purpose, then you know the why of your existence. And once you know why you're here, why you've been set apart by God, it breathes life into everything else that you do. When you go to work on Monday morning, when you go to classes in school, when you go to the playground with your kids, you know, why are you there? You are there as God's missionary. Everywhere you go, you are uh, a reflection of God. You are his light. You are there to make him known. Um, I've used this more than once, but the guy's walking along a path, and he sees a guy laying bricks, and he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm laying bricks. He goes down a little further, and he asks the next guy, what are you doing? He says, I'm building a wall. And then he comes to a third guy a little farther down. He says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm helping to build a cathedral. That third guy knew his why. He knew the bigger picture. He wasn't just laying bricks. So many people go through life, including Christians, and it's the saddest thing. We go through life just laying bricks. And we don't see how it fits what God is trying to do. I'm on assignment for God. I'm his missionary. My purpose is to be on assignment for him. Um, I've been using uh, Matthew chapter 28, the last part of the Gospel of Matthew, and this is shortly before Jesus ascended into heaven before his disciples. And uh, this is the, the, the message translation, and I love this. Just look at this. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. And this is what Jesus said to his disciples. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life you know, the way of life I've taught you, marking them by baptism 
in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I've commanded you, and I'll be with you. So Jesus gave them their purpose. They already knew they were sent. They knew they were missionaries. And he said, now I want you to go. And as you're going, I want you to make disciples of the nations, of every ethnic group, of everybody you meet. Your, your goal is to do everything you can to bring them into my kingdom. They really got that. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament got this. It's kind of interesting. The Apostle Paul, when he became a Christian, he wasn't paid. He chose not to get paid. And so what he did, do you know what he did for a living? To make, he was a tent maker. That's what he did. You know, he could have been a carpenter. But on this side, he made tents. He worked with his hands. And yet he knew that that wasn't his purpose. If people said, hey, Paul, who are you? What are you about? He wouldn't say, I'm a tent maker. He would say, I'm a missionary. I'm an ambassador for Christ. That's what he would have said, I'm sure. And it's interesting, he had ministered all over the, the known world as far as Rome. And one of the places he uh, witnessed to and, and raised up a church was in a city called Ephesus. And he was there for about three years. And then when he was about to leave Ephesus, he had grown very close to them. They were really bonded. And, and he's in Ephesus, and now he's going to leave Ephesus. And he says, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is in Acts chapter 20. This is what he said. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. Kind of like Abraham that Pastor Jen talked about. I'm going to Jerusalem not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. He said, I'm going to Jerusalem knowing that when I go there it's going to be prison, it's going to be hardship, it's going to be suffering. And then he says this, however... My life means nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord has given me. Think about that. He was so identified with his calling to be God's missionary and with his purpose to be on assignment for God, to be obedient to God wherever he would send him, that he said, my life means nothing to me. All that matters is that I finish the race and complete the task he's given me. Could I say that? Moses, when he was at the burning bush, we all know this story, I think. And he's at the bush, burning bush, and what made that bush different was not just that it was on fire and it wasn't consumed, but was what made that burning bush so significant was the presence of God was there. And God spoke out of it to Moses. And that place became holy ground. And in that moment, when Moses is bowing in the presence of God, his life is forever changed. And human history has changed. And God says to him, so now, Moses, I've seen the suffering of my people, your people, in Egypt. So Moses, now go. I'm sending you. That's what he said. 
I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people out of Egypt, to set them free. But Moses said what probably I would have said. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring them out? And God said, I will be with you. What did Jesus say to his disciples? Go into the world and make disciples, and I will be with you always. The only thing that matters when you're fulfilling God's purpose for your life, it doesn't matter who you are in yourself. It only matters who you are in Christ. If God chose you and you're a missionary, God's power, the Bible says, is made perfect in our weakness. And so we will boast all the more gladly about our weaknesses and our limitations so that Christ's power may rest on us. Amen? Because it's about God's call. And Moses knew that he was called, so eventually he stopped making excuses. So I could ask you today, are you saved? I wonder, how many people here, and I won't look too carefully, don't look around, how many people, you can close your eyes if you, you don't want, you, just close your eyes, just close your eyes. Okay, how many of you are saved? Okay, sure, okay. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> are you saved from something or are you saved for something? Both, yeah, thanks. We're saved from something. We're saved from death, we're saved from hell, we're saved from being self-destructive behaviors. That's what our set free retreat is about in November. What we're set free from but did you know that we are also saved for something? And people go, yes, I know, I'm saved for heaven. I'm saved so I can go to heaven. Yes, I'm so excited about heaven. Everybody want to go there now? <laughs> what, really? Right now? Okay. Yeah, okay. Hey, if, if that's what the Lord wants. But here's the thing. You aren't saved just to go to heaven. Really? And again, I, I can't give you all the scriptures, but uh, you could, we could sit down and talk about it. But you are saved to bring as many other people with you as possible. It isn't, you know, like people often say, it's not about you. I actually had somebody say that to me earlier this week. Brian, it's not about you. You know, and I kind of hurt my feelings. Um, and uh, so anyway, you know, it really isn't about just me. It's about us. It's about what God is doing. And so we are saved for heaven, but we're saved to take as many others with us as possible. So who am I? What's my identity? I'm God's missionary. Why, why am I here in this place now, in the present, wherever I might find myself? I'm here to be on assignment for God, to do his will to let my light shine and to bring others to him and disciple them. And that leads to the next question. Who do I see? And this speaks to the issue of awareness. Who do I see? Do I see? Okay, our mission statement as a church is making Christ-like disciples with a heart for God and a... Okay, wow, this is getting good. Okay, so I had a passion for people... So here's the thing. Do you have a passion for people? What does that look like, to have a passion for people? We know that heart for God is love for God. Passion for people is love for people. Do we see people? 
There's two types of relationships you can have in this world. You can have transactional relationships and you can have transformational relationships. In the world of politics and often in the world of business, it's all transactional. Transactional relationships is what can you do for me? What can I get out of you? Do you know what I, I, I say to our pastors in the church and what I say to our board members and other leaders and just to anybody that I can talk to about it? I'll say, you know what scares me? Is that I would just try to uh, build the church and grow the church by using you and getting as much out of you as I can. Do you know what? I get as excited as anybody when I see people volunteer. I do. I get excited to see people step up and, and roll up their sleeves and get to work for God. I do. But you know, that is not my first concern, and it should never be my first concern. Uh, my first concern is how are you doing? Do you know who you are? Do you know why you're here? That's got to be the first thing. It's not just transactional. It's not just what can I get out of you. Transformational relationships are relationships where what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I help you to become who you were created to be. That's transformation. It's about who you are becoming. So as you're serving the Lord in this church, rolling up your sleeves, getting to work, it's about who you're becoming in that process. That's what I care about more than anything else. I believe that's what God cares about. Not just what you get done, but who you're becoming. So do we see people only in terms of their function? You know, I, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a server in a restaurant, I'm a clerk at a store. Do we see people? Sometimes that's what happens. Because we're busy people. We, we, we want to go and buy some things at a store or go get some food in a restaurant, what have you. And so we see people in terms of their functionality. But do we see them as souls for whom Jesus Christ died? And those of you that have been out with me lately know that I've been... I, I'm. I, Typically, I'm very nice to people I meet. You know, I, I, I really am. And uh, uh, I think most of you are. But I've been with people called Christians who sometimes were very rude. How many of you have ever experienced that where you've been with people? Yeah. And it's kind of embarrassing. You're like, oh, you know. And, um, and so, I, and I've been really learning to make a point of trying to get the person's name. You know, and I usually start with saying something like, hey, I'm Brian, and what's your name? You know, and uh, I know a lot of you do that much better than I do it, but it really reminds me. Here's, what, here's the point. It reminds me that that's a human being. That's a person that Jesus loves. Um, Jesus, we read about the crowds. So uh, it tells us that crowds followed Jesus. They pressed in upon him. That's why he got on the boat sometimes on the Sea of Galilee to teach because the, they were backing him up into the water, so he had to get on a boat to teach them from the boat. He didn't have a platform like this. But there's crowds all the way. But Jesus didn't just see the crowd. He saw people. Look at this picture. I showed it to you last week. So you walk in after church today, you're going to walk over to Spot On or Tim Hortons or wherever you go, and you see people sitting there. Do we see the crowd? Or maybe, you know, sometimes what we do is we see the table. Here's what I do. I look in, I'm looking for an empty table in a good spot. But I'm often looking past people. And sometimes I've walked past some of you in a restaurant, and you said, Pastor! And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to be rude, I didn't see you. It's because I wasn't looking at the people. 
And so what God has been teaching me is that, Brian, look at the faces in the crowd. Jesus looked at the faces in the crowd. He saw into their souls. He, he looked into their eyes, and he felt their pain and their despair. And that's why in Matthew chapter 9, it says that Jesus looked at the crowds, and he saw them as sheep without a shepherd. They were lost and in despair. And he said, send out workers because he said, I can't do this by myself. That's what he was saying. And at the end of the day, he said, send out, ask, pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send workers. Because I can't do this by myself. I'm going to leave this world, and I need to leave the work with you. And I would echo that. Uh, Jesus um, saw people, and he stopped to see people and to meet them. To look into their eyes. There was a woman. Well, Jesus was approached by a man. Said my, his name was Jairus, and he said, my daughter is sick. And he said, would you come and lay your hands on her and heal her? So Jesus is on the way, and as he's on the way, a woman touches his garment. She was very, very sick, and she touched his garment because she knew if I would just touch his garment, if I could just get that close, I will be healed. And he felt that he felt healing power go out from him. And he turned, and he said, who touched me? And then he said to her, your faith has made you well. See, he stopped. He was so sensitive to people and so, you know, in tune with individuals in the crowd that he knew that this woman touched him. He could feel that. I thought, well, God, I want to be that aware. Um, you know, there was a, a Samaritan woman we read about it in John chapter 4, and Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. And Jesus was thirsty, and he goes through Samaria, and he meets this woman that a Jewish man would never talk to. And he, her life is transformed in that encounter. He stopped. She's like, why would you talk to me, Lord? You being a man and being a Jew, why would you talk to someone like me? But he did. The real action, folks, is out there, and it's in the lives of ordinary people. So who am I? I'm a missionary. Why am I here? I'm here on assignment for God to do his will. Who do I see? Am I aware of those around about me? Will I stop and make the time? And that leads me to the next point, question. What do I have that God can use? What do you have that God can use? Um, if I make this statement, I want you to nod your head or shake your head, whether you agree or disagree. As you sit here right now in this sanctuary, I say that you have everything that you need right now to do the will of God. You do, right? Now, If you've got a Bible and you spend time meditating upon the Word of God and obeying it, doing what it says, and if you have the Spirit of God living in you, that's all that you need to begin to do the will of God. Now, does that mean you'll always be successful? No. Does that mean that you don't have more to learn? No, it doesn't mean you don't have more. Of course, we all have more to learn. 
Does that mean that you don't have to improve your skills and your abilities? Of course you need to do. But you know what? We never, ever become who we were intended to be if we just sit and think about it and make excuses. We've got to get out. Jesus said, follow me. They followed him. They watched him do it. And then he helped them to do it. And they often tripped over their own feet. They didn't know what they were doing. And, but in that process, they learned how to do the things that Jesus was doing. And then on the day of Pentecost, after Jesus ascended into heaven, he poured out his spirit. And boy, they now had power from on high, and they transformed their world. One of the things that I want us to think about more often is that we are a church, and I want us to be a church that is rooted in the Word and alive in the Spirit. It's both. We must be rooted in the Word of God, but also be alive in the Spirit. We're not just a Word church, and we're not just a Spirit church. We are Word and spirit. We need both. It is the Holy Spirit who gives power to what we speak and to what we do. And that's why we're doing the Hearing God classes. I really encourage you, if you've come and you need a refresher, sign up. If you've never been there, we're doing these kind of things. I I do a thing called the Leadership Network, which I actually sent an invitation out to the whole congregation by mistake this week. Some of you were confused about it. Uh, But but I, I, I... But basically, I am doing everything I can to say, I want to disciple our people who are in leadership and help us to disciple each other so they can be equipped to disciple the rest of the people. And uh, we're doing these things because we need to hone the skills and the gifts that God has given us. We need to be available to be used by God however he wants to use us. And you know, here's the thing. Some of you may be sitting here today and, and, uh, and you might be thinking, you know, I, I don't know that God can use me. I don't feel like I've got much to offer. And, and I, I feel bad if you feel that way. Um, because I know that if you would just be available to say, here am I, God. Use me. He will do things through you that will make you smile, and that will bring you joy. He will. And it doesn't have to be newsworthy, you know, on television or anything like that. It's just simple things. God just using ordinary people who say, God, I'm available. Open my eyes to see the people around me and help me to stop and see and listen and be available. God can use small things. Do we know that God can make a lot from a little? We do know that, right? The loaves and the fish. You know the story of the loaves and the fish? There's this whole crowd, and Jesus takes, you know, uh, two fish and five loaves, or two loaves and five fish, you know, and he feeds the entire crowd with it. We see this all through the Bible. David, before he became king in the Old Testament, he takes five smooth stones and a sling, and he slays the giant Goliath. God uses the small and the insignificant. The Bible teaches us that through and through. The most important thing is your availability. Just be available. So here's the fifth question. What if everyone made disciples the way I do? 
So let me ask you a question right now. And don't raise your hand. Are you making disciples? Now, a lot of you might, if you're really honest, you might say, I, I'm not sure. I, maybe. I think we need to know one way or the other. I asked somebody the other day about her brother. It was a phone conversation. And uh, I said, is your brother a Christian? Um, I'm not sure. And I said, well, you've answered the question. <laughs> if he was a Christian, you'd know. If you were making disciples, you would know that you were making disciples. Because there's an intentionality about that. There's a sense of purpose that guides you through life. You know, there's nothing in the Bible about a clergy class of Christians. You know, like me being clergy. You know, like, oh, you're clergy. You know, can you come and pray for me because you're a pastor? God hears your prayers more than he hears my prayers. You really think that? You know, people say, I haven't been visited if I haven't been visited by the pastor. You know, like, folks, that isn't true. God never called. You know what you, you, know what you read in the Bible? And this is what you read in the New Testament. God doesn't have a, a class of Christians. We do see that there's deacons and there's elders. We do see that. There's people who have the office of a, being a bishop. You see that in the Bible. But you do see that there's people that are called to the office of a, apostle or prophet or evangelist or pastor or teacher. You do see that in the Bible. And you see people have different gifts, different abilities, different callings. We do see that. But it's not a different class. We're all just different. And as a pastor, I have to know my limitations. I can't I can't do what needs to be done. Some of you are so much better at things than I am, so much more insightful, so much more skilled, and God needs the whole body. And so that's why it says God gave some as apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers uh, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. God has called pastors to equip you to do the work of the ministry. We model it, and we help teach and train but it's so that you can do the work of them. It's so that the body of Christ can be built up so it can grow in health and strength and in number. And it says that'll happen as each part does its work. That's what it says in Ephesians 4. As each part, as each one of us does our work. God wants you to be fruitful. What if everybody made disciples the way you do? I asked myself that question, and it scared me because I thought, I, I, I need to do much better. I need to be much more intentional. I'm a Methodist. John Wesley, 300 years ago, was a Methodist, and, he, and England was transformed, but he was anointed by the Holy Spirit as well. They, the, those don't oppose each other. Um, so I'm going to ask our life groups, what would happen, life group leaders, if you said to your group, I'm going to lead this group for nine months, and then I'm going to stop leading this group. After nine months, I'm going to leave this group and start a new one. So one of you, at least one of you, has to take over the leadership of this group, but I'm leaving after nine months. And I'm going to birth a new group. And then when you take over this group I'm currently leading, I want you to say the same thing that I just said to you and say to that group, I'm leaving in nine months. That's how we make disciples, is that kind of thinking. People say, well, there's just not enough people in the church. 
I mean, to, to do that with. I mean, if everybody did that, we'd run out. Would we run out of people? What if we walk out those doors? Are there people out there? It starts with the neighbor. And if I, I started a church called New Life Fellowship in 1989. It is now called Skyview Community Church. Pastor Stuart Williams is the pastor of that church. He's only the second pastor. I was the first one. We had a church. It was called the Northwest Project. Isn't it great? What a good name, the Northwest Project. And we started this church in 1989 with no people. There was my wife, Colleen, myself, our five-year-old daughter, Elise, and our son, Keith, was just born. That's it. That's, that, was, that was our church. So let me ask you a question. Why would they have paid my salary and given me operating expenses for two years if there was no church there? There was no people. Well, nature abhors a vacuum. And God loves people. And all I knew is they said, the money's going to run out after two years, so you need to be up and running and self-supporting in two years. And we were. But all I'm saying to you folks is, if you would say, if a life group leader said, I'm leaving in nine months, we've got a goal, I'm stepping up because you people can do it. We have to believe that our people can do it. Because people, we, we tend to not believe that God can use us unless someone says, I'm leaving in nine months, you're going to be on your own. If you do that with your children too, that really helps. You know, you have to be on your own at some point. You can't live at home forever. And so things begin to happen because you've got a goal. And so, I just say, we've got to think that way. And God will lead you to people. And so what will happen, you'll just be sitting there in your new group with just you and your spouse maybe, or all by yourself. And then you're going to say, well, God, I've got to go meet my neighbors then. There's nobody in the church that wants to come to my group. i got to go out and meet my neighbors. And then, you know, lead someone to Christ. And they say, hey, do you want to do a Bible study? And then before you know it, they're bringing their friends. And, you know, then you've got a group. So with that, I'm just going to cut to the end here. I am so focused on this for our church. I believe that your deepest joy will be found when you make disciples who will make disciples who know that they're supposed to train others, who will in turn train others to make disciples, so on to the third and fourth generation. That is your greatest joy. Yeah, it feels good to be loved, but it feels better to love. It feels good to grow, but it's even better to help others grow. That's where your deepest joy will be found because God called each one of us to be fruitful. And so it's okay if you tremble. It's okay if you say, you know, maybe you're like Moses. Lord, I'm not ready. Who am I? I'm just little old me. I, I, I don't think I can do this. That's okay if you say that. We'll help you get through it, you know. We have to speak that faith into you. And so for me, my role in this is I'm going to lead by example. And I have been with God's help leading by example. I'm not doing this perfectly. I've adjusted my schedule around the priorities of discipleship and renewal and leadership development. 
I am devoting my energies to do this. You can ask my wife, Colleen. I am intensely focused on this. And I will pray it into existence. And I invite you to pray this into existence. Pray it. Join us at Prayer Summit. And I just can't stop talking about it. And it's okay. Last Sunday is the last thing on this topic. So you'll get some relief. So I want you to please join me as we pray. I'm wondering if you would think about your ministry, whether it's a, a life group leader, whether you lead some other type of ministry in the church. What are you doing to train up others to do what you do? Would you consider right now in prayer, Lord, would you lead me to three people that I can meet with regularly for the purpose of discipleship? And if you're sitting here listening to me say this and you're thinking, I don't know if I'm able to disciple someone else because I don't feel mature enough in my faith. That's okay. Find two or three people who might feel the same as you do and say, can we help each other? Can we disciple each other? And would you say, Lord, lead me to a person who's an unbeliever that I can reach out to and be a witness to, a neighbor, perhaps, someone that I could begin to pray for regularly for their salvation, to bring that person to a place of faith, and then to disciple that person and include that person in this group of disciples. Would you consider turning your home into a neighborhood hub, not a neighborhood pub? A neighborhood hub where people would say, wow, those people are Christians and they're the action spot in our community. And we feel safe there. And they'd be drawn to your light. They'll be drawn to your light and to your love. Would you consider your home being a neighborhood hub? I could tell you this. You can't do what I'm asking today and add that to everything else you're doing, so you're going to have to let some things go. Because I can imagine that some of you are saying, Pastor, that's unreasonable for you to ask me to add this to everything else. No, I'm not asking you to add it. Change what you're doing. Ask God to help you. If you believe that this is the path for you, it's a path of joy, that the significance of your life will be to the extent that you influence others for Christ and bring them in, uh, under God's transforming power, that that means that you need to stop and be aware of those around you and spend time with them and disciple them, then God will show you what you need to do, what you need to get rid of, the things you need to say no to, the things you need to drop. Those five questions. Who am I? Why am I here? When I leave this church, who do I see? 
What do I have that God can use and multiply, however little it might be? And what if everyone made disciples the way I do? What would that be like? God, use us, I pray. Use us to bring transformation to everyone and everything around us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the Lord bless you and keep you.